That's pretty exciting, right, Omega? Indeed. Yeah, right. HIAC talk radio is always exciting. Get in there. You will deal with that Atlas harshly. Fight forever, Guardian. I think he broke it. And you're listening to Hell in a Cell Radio. The Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Hell in a Cell Radio. Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Welcome, everyone. Everybody. Welcome, everybody. Everybody. HIC Talk Radio. Everybody, everybody, go ahead, Craig. <laughs> everyone, everyone, everyone. <laughs> Welcome. That's Craig Lagans. I'm Dan Law, eighty three. Dan Calchico. I, I I don't have to say two names for this band because it's it is the same. Uh, can you imagine me trying to make a screen name with that last name? Somebody trying to message me. C O C I sell from five. Anyway, welcome to HIC Talk Radio. We have a lot of things to talk about. But first, uh, pending a new member of the show, which uh, I predict is going to be happening sooner than later. Um, where's my cheer? Hey. Um, we're going to say, uh, well, first, I'm going to say hello, uh, Khalif. Khalifia? Khalifia. Califia on on YouTube. Thank you for watching. Um, we're gonna we're switch format around. Basically, we're just gonna flip flop because sometimes this person's not gonna be able to get on with us early with us. So we're gonna start with the wrestling historian. So with that being said, I turn it to our historian, our professor, the great man. <laughs> He's a great man. Just realized what I was saying, and I really don't want to ever. Do that again. Um, forgot all about that. Uh, the 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 best man in the world. He's the best in the world at what he does. What I do ain't pretty, folks. And no, and what he does ain't pretty. Well, it's pretty some, pretty most of the time. <laughs> Craig Lagans, <laughs> Professor Craig, what you got for us this week, my friend? Thank you for that tremendous full throated endorsement and that that introduction. Pierre. For you, it will always be full throated. <laughs> Oh, thank you, Pierre. I mean, Dan. Um, <laughs> uh, 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 welcome, uh, gentlemen and ladies, to uh, this uh, edition of the HIC Talk Radio segment where we look back uh, to a time where um, wrestling was not sports entertainment. It was indeed professional wrestling, where uh, different organizations, different wrestling companies can come together in one card so you can see wrestling wrestlers from different organizations different territories uh competing under one in one spot uh you don't have to worry about companies being bought or sold you know you can why you can watch a your favorite federation and other stars can come in and it would be uh, an amazing this week in pro wrestling history uh we lost some people but uh, we lost an organization, and uh, a lot of fun, interesting people were born this week. So we're going to take a look back at this part of uh, professional wrestling history. This is a wrestling historian. Uh, going to start March sixth. Uh, uh, I said we had a lot of birthdays this week. Some interesting people were born this week in professional wrestling. Dan, uh, one of them was Anthony Corelli. Uh, who turns 48 this week, March 6th. Happy happy belated birthday to the Milan Miracle, Santino Morella. <laughs> Unfortunately now for him, I guess. Well, maybe he doesn't care. When I hear his name, all I hear is uh, Jim Cornette screaming, smacking the crap out of him backstage because he wouldn't get out of the way and he laughed on screen during yeah. the boogeyman uh, um debut on uh, OVW. Was it OVW at that point? OVW, yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I think of. And uh we don't talk about Santina cuz it's stupid. Yes. Uh, uh I but I always but I liked I liked Santino some of the times, some of the time. They kind of they I I didn't like the fact that they flip-flopped 
with him. I mean, his first appearance, he won the Intercontinental Championship as a guy in the audience that they pulled out when they were on tour in Italy, and he, he won, called the Milan Miracle. So they they went from him being a serious character because he had won the Intercontinental Championship uh, multiple times, even beating Kofi Kingston once, beat Dolph Ziggler another time. Uh, he had a legitimate judo background, so at some point he was a legit. They had him as a legit guy, uh, but they liked the fact that he was because of his broken English, he mispronounced names that I got a kick out of. Um, like MVP, he would call El um, and it's racist. Uh, it's racist yeah. towards my people. But Kelly <laughs> Kelly would call Kelly Kelly Kelly. I'm kidding, man! I don't care. Yeah. Or John, or John Cena was John Cena, and my, listen to me, John Cena. <laughs> and my favorite though was uh, when Triple H came in, and he was Triple H. <laughs> I don't remember that one. That's funny. Yeah, Triple H, Triple H, Triple H. Or when you would make fun of Raymond too. Oh look, I'm Ray Mastrio. I'm a taller than a horn swaggle. It's funny because, uh, like an Italian, the, the character got the emphasis on the wrong syllable. Syllable, yeah. And, but then when he became a comic character, um, he, he he would make me laugh. That when he had to stare, we had to show down with Steve Austin when he took his uh, Austin's uh, DVD of his latest movie, and he, you know, he, he threw it on the ground. He stamped it out, and Austin gave him a stunner. And after the stunner, he did the. Uh, he sold, you know, like a million dollars. So, but they were waffling between is he a comedy character or is he a uh, a stray character? But uh, Santina Morella uh, had, for me, had more hits than misses. Uh, his stuff that was that was funny made me laugh. Again, his his mispronunciations uh, always got to me. And uh, every but then when he was comedy, he was straight comedy. And but happy. Belated 48th birthday. Another guy born on the same day, uh, two years apart. Happy 46th birthday to a guy that um, he can be put in the character of the, the what ifs or things that broken differently. He came in with a great, I never, when he debuted on WWE, I had never heard of him, which is rare, especially in this day and age for a wrestler to debut in the WWE that I have never seen wrestle anywhere else. And for me, uh, it was great. And he not only did he get my attention, he kept it. And not only with, did he keep my attention because he was a great worker and great on the mic and got over like that. So much so, and Vince McMahon even liked him, which is a ringing endorsement even back then. Uh, he got a great push. And they used him correctly. He beat five former world champions. And he even won money in the bank. Which at that time meant anyone who won money in the bank would eventually become the world champion. So that was an extreme vote of confidence. Uh, and you can say backstage politics. You can say that his he was injury prone and couldn't stay healthy. Whatever the reason, it never came to fruition the main event push that he got, but still happy 46th birthday. And he's still young, you know, especially in wrestling. He only turned 46, but happy 46th, belated 46th birthday to Mr. Kennedy. Kennedy. You, you said it so loud, it actually overmodulated out to a lower volume. That scared Amber to death, too. <laughs> uh, off topic, uh, Dustin, and welcome to the show. Uh, off topic, I miss CM Punk. Watch AEW. He's on every show. Uh, Wednesdays and Fridays, sir. Oh, he's out of the loop. He, he admittedly is out of the loop. So I was, I was helping him out. Mr. Kennedy, Mr. Anderson. Um, God, I miss that guy. Me, too. I really liked him. I still think that it was what well, I think we all what you mentioned earlier. We know it was the backstage politics that um, kept him doomed this push. 
yeah, it doomed his career. I mean, well, I, I say that. I mean, he was he wrestled for years mm-hmm. on Impact uh, TNA, but it was like he went from one to the other. It's just not the same. It, it's not the same. No, and he was great. Yeah, that's a bummer. And I still, I still think about that. I still see in my head that video he posted sometime after the release when the news was breaking of him. Of people saying, well, he was released because he injured Randy Orton. He, uh, uh, well, no, no, there was two. There was the Randy Orton rumor, and there was a rumor that he hurt his hand or something, and his video was him going, this yeah. hand works fine, this hand. And then he shook the hand, and then he shook it violently, and then he went, and that was the end of the video. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't know what he's doing now, but uh, yeah, it, that was a top talent. Uh, and he was deceptively good. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's a shame. Uh, it was Eddie. He was uh, Eddie Guerrero's last match. And um, yes, but it's just still used to this day. Yes. Yeah, it was damn good. And he was damn good. Um, yeah, could work. Looked great. Talked great. Funny when he had to be. And, you know, he just was was super super over and again a guy that i never saw before when he debuted in the yeah, same so um for him to, to come out of not virtually nowhere uh but to make an impact like that uh absolutely amazing he won money in the bank but i think that's when he get got hurt and he became the first person to lose the money in the bank contract and he lost it to edge and edge uh cashed it in uh later on that that wrestlemania or that the next whatever next pay-per-view i think it was uh survivor series but um i was saw what, what could have been um and when he came back he came back after the injury with a big push and that i think that was the second time was uh, the randy orton one but he he alluded to the fact that you know he he didn't Triple H didn't like him coming to the ring chewing gum because I guess Triple H did it first or he wanted to do it. Oh yeah, who else chews gum trips? Yeah, like he wanted to be the Just only one. Just you. Yeah. And uh, I hate. Listen, I love wrestling, but goddamn it, I hate it. I really do. Uh, I yeah, I, I hate shit like that. I hate. That's what know. I mean. Yeah, it's so yeah. Stupid. Or, or even just and it's all WWE centric the stuff that I hate like two guys can have the same name and two guys can't do the same thing two guys can't chew gum you know if your name's Sean we gotta change it to, to you know your name's Shane we can't have more than one Shane so change it to Gregory can't and use the name Rex Steiner so we gotta come up with something stupid that's got even though and we'll, we'll dress the guy exactly like his dad have him have haircut exactly like his dad, move, act, walk, talk exactly like his dad, but don't have any mention of his dad. <laughs> also, on top of that, he looks just like his dad. Yes. So, like, if it walks, quacks, and swims like a duck, it's a cat. <laughs> WWE. God damn it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, but uh, Ken Kennedy, uh, happy belated 46th birthday, hell of a talent. And you heard it here on HIC Talk Radio. We miss you, man. Uh, wherever you are, we hope you're well. But we, you sorely missed. He, he's one of those guys that uh, if things had gone differently. He's, it's rare to say that about, you know, we usually reserve that. So uh, of the, the what if, the, the people that have left us prematurely, you know, like the David Von Erichs or the Gina Hernandez's. Uh, but this is a guy that's still with us and still could have had a, a great career in the WWE and like I said still young he's only 46 so he could still be in the ring right now but I'm gonna check, check and see if uh, he'll talk to anybody yeah I'd love to talk to him about the, that kind of shit yeah I'd love to hear his uh, his side of things and his take on stuff uh, March 7th uh, big game wrestling uh, you had to go all the way to Japan um uh, before the uh, days of uh, all Japan and, um, and New Japan, 
it was the Japanese Wrestling Association, and the Japanese Wrestling Association uh, world champion was Giant Baba. Um, like I said before, he he uh, owned all all Japan wrestling. Uh, 1967, he was the uh, the United National Champion of the JWA, and he took on the current reigning then Worldwide Wrestling Federation Heavyweight Champion Bruno Sammartino. And they went to a two out of three fall match. And the first two falls, they split and they were, it took a half an hour. And the third fall went the went a 60 minute draw. So Giant Baba and Bruno Sammartino on March 7, 1967 in Japan went 90 minutes. Whoa. And a two out of three fall match. The first two falls, uh, first one 15 minutes, second fall went to another 15 minutes, the third fall went to a one-hour time limit draw. Bruno and Baba. Uh, that same day, March 7, 1982, uh, it was a unique tournament that took place in Toronto, uh, Canada, Toronto Maple Leaf Gardens, and I've mentioned this on this very podcast many times. Toronto, uh, along with St. Louis and Houston, and occasionally Portland was a place where you could see on any given month stars from different federations all in one night. And this particular tournament that took place in Toronto Maple Leafs Garden was a Cadillac tournament. This is three years before the WWE's classic Cadillac tournament, which would be the first pay-per-view in WWF history, which took place three years later. But this tournament was a Cadillac tournament took place in Toronto. They had stars from the AWA, the NWA, Memphis, um, and Mid-South here. And the tournament went, the, the seedings were just, some of the matches were crazy. Austin Idol in the first round, Austin Idol defeated Jake the Snake Roberts. Uh, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat defeated wow. Adrian Adonis. Uh, the who's who? Jesse, the body Ventura defeated Mike Rotundo in the uh, first round. Uh, Black Jack Mulligan Jr., who you know is Barry Windham, um, uh, defeated Johnny Weaver. And in the second round, uh, Ricky Steamboat, he had already defeated Adrian Adonis, um, defeated Roddy Piper. But Piper attacked him after the match. And so Ricky Steamboat couldn't continue. Why would Roddy Piper do such a thing? He was a heel. Oh. In the other semifinal bout, Blackjack Mulligan Jr., Barry Windham, went to a double countout against Big John Studd. So they were both eliminated. So the finals was between two of the most colorful characters in all the professional wrestling back then in 1982. And handsome Jimmy Valiant, the boogie woogie man, defeated Jesse the Body Ventura in the finals to win the Cadillac tournament in Toronto. Real quick, uh, Sox said hello, Craig. Hey, Sox. How are you? Sir? Thank you for joining us tonight. Uh, but yeah, so that one tournament in, in Toronto, the Cadillac tournament, it started. And now Jesse Ventura and Adrian Adonis, at the time, they were the AWA Tag Team Champions. Uh, and they split up to... Uh, Compete in this tournament. Roddy Piper and Ricky Steamboat were both in the Mid-Atlantic area in the, in the Carolinas. Austin Idol was in, wrestling in Memphis. Jake the Roberts was wrestling in the Mid-South. Uh, and they were all in Toronto trying to win this Cadillac. But yeah, it was March 7th, 1982. 40 years ago this week in wrestling history, folks. Uh, which brings us to today. In wrestling history, a lot of birthdays um, today. Some interesting characters were born today. Uh, happy 42nd birthday uh, to a young lady who probably makes the single greatest entrance into a ring that anyone has ever seen. One third of the great team of uh, Eminem. Oh, yes. Mercury, Nitro, and Morrison. Yeah. Happy 42nd birthday today. To the beautiful Melina. And she still does that entrance and it's still amazing. Yes. Not yes. not not only for the eye candy part, for before the old guy going, 
Ow! Oh, my groin just screamed. Yes, yes but happy 42nd birthday to Melina. Uh, happy 48th birthday to uh, second generation superstar. Uh, we were talking about uh, Mr. Kennedy earlier. He got a massive push and what could have been with him. Uh, this guy got an okay push. He had a great look. He had a great, yeah, again, second generation superstar, but just never really caught on. Um, except for his valet did, but a happy 48th birthday again, not, not that old could still be out there. Happy 48th birthday to tiger alley Singh. And I will pay was- one of you disgusting Americans to <laughs> love that gimmick. I know and- it's, I know it's frowned upon these days, but I like that. It was kind of suckering dumb people into doing stupid things. <laughs> it was, t- it was. Million Dollar Man all over again. Hell yeah. Take a little the same stuff, but who, Dan, who will eat Babu's kilbasa? <laughs> Gusty servant Babu. Oh, uh, man. Oh, the good old days. Yes, but a happy 48th birthday to Tiger Alley Singh. Another great born today uh, Hall of Famer, and we were just talking about uh, his son, but a happy 60th birthday. To Rob Ricksteiner, who uh, we know as Rick Steiner, one half of the greatest brother tag teams of all time, arguably the greatest brother tag team of all time. Um, Michigan born, uh, tremendous amateur background, uh, guy that got his, uh, his big break in the Mid-South. Um, and part of the learning curve of the, the young Lions that they had there in the formative years of it's weird that the dying days of Mid-South that had the best wrestling talent on earth uh, with Ted DiBiase, Steve Dr. Death Williams, Jake the Snake Roberts, Hacksaw Duggan, Hacksaw Reed, um, the Freebirds, all these guys there, and these two young pups that were, you know, just breaking into the business and under the guidance of Eddie Gilbert and Bill Watts and Dick Slater, you learn so many you can learn from so many great people there and these guys uh by bill watts said you know they were put together under eddie gilbert for a reason so they can learn the business inside and out but uh sting and rick steiner uh when they become mid-south tag team champions but they got that was the best education that either one of those guys can get you know we talked about Sting and and uh his partner one the other half of the blade runners uh, one wanted to get better and one never did. Uh, well, so when he left, it was staying teaming with Rick Steiner and they got the education that uh, they they needed and that they wanted. And like with Sting, Rick Steiner got better and better. Uh, That's so much on the talking. No, not so much on the talking. And he mm-hmm. didn't. He, he did his talking in the ring. Sure did. And through- thank God for that. Yes, maybe one of the single best clotheslines ever uh, I ever seen. Either way, he best. would just some people would just run. He would just wait and just launch himself. Yeah, yeah, it was the most unique looking where he would just he wouldn't he wouldn't use any of his own momentum. He'd just stand there and, <laughs> and yeah, it looked like it would kill the person each time. And sometimes they did <laughs> hurt the person. <laughs> yes, uh, if you ever want to see one of the great receipts in pro wrestling. Um, <laughs> Chris Champion, uh, I forget his partner. It was it was Rick Steiner and Mike Rotunda against Chris Champion? I forget who it was. Um, but Chris Champion did this. Um, and I remember watching it on Saturday afternoon TV. He did his Karate Kid kick, and he legitimately caught Steiner right under the chin and hit. It. And Steiner took a hell of a bump, even when, but even though this kick really connected, Steiner was a great bump taker anyway. But that one really, and you see. Steiner popped right back up with champion into the ropes and just gave him a, a hellacious clothesline that legitimately oh. knocked champion out. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah, one of the great one of the great receipts in uh in wrestling. And again, Rick Steiner, legitimate tough guy. Um and one of the and um one of the stories about him, he was on a road with he was traveling. I was telling you about him getting his education. He would ride with Steve Dr. Death Williams 
Oh boy, when he was a, a rookie, but they they witnessed an accident on the on the side of the road when they were traveling back in the day. Kids, you had to drive to the next town after the matches. There was no team bus or team plane. You had to drive yourself. Uh, they came upon an accident. The car was on fire, and with a person still inside, so they went to uh, retrieve the person. But inside the car um, was ammunition, and so bullets had they ignited in the fire and so we're flying through the car or it would just pop off like one at a time um while they were trying to get this person out and it's pretty harrowing they saved the person's life and made the papers in the louisiana picayune uh but yeah he and um steve dr death williams saved a a person from a, a car fire once and i i I originally heard that Steiner took a bullet in the leg. That turned out not to be true. But uh, being in a car with live ammunition was a harrowing tale. And he was known as Rob Rex. He was known as Rob Rex Steiner then, because that was his name in the paper when it when it came out. But yeah, uh, great talent. Um, he and I guess he and uh, brother Scott, one of the greatest tag brother tag teams, one of the great WCW tag team champions of all time. And uh, Rick, legitimate tough guy, the dog face gremlin. If you don't like me, bite me. Bite me. You want some? Come get some. You don't like me? Bite me. And that's really all he ever needed to say because some of those Nitro interviews, oh boy. You remember when he had his, his, uh, his imaginary friend Alex? That he yeah, I remember Alex. Yeah, he draw a little face on there. I, whenever somebody mentions Rick Steiner, the first image that pops in my head is um, when he has to cut a promo against an obvious pre-recorded Chucky doll. Yeah. And it cuts to him at one point. And the look on his face is, is a mixture of trying not to laugh. And, oh, my God, I'm glad. As long as the check doesn't bounce, I'll be fine. Just you've been playing with dolls all your life, at least that's what your mother tells me. And it went to nowhere. Yeah, of course. So stupid. Um believe it or not, they used Chucky this past year better than they used Chucky in 98. I know it's shocking. Uh, but I also wanted to bring up on the Rick Steiner front. Better wrestler than Scott, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, I hated that they broke up, but I remember, you know, tag teams break up, brothers fight, mm-hmm. but, and I know it was a convoluted NW, you know, late nineties NWO storyline, but man, him winking towards Scott Hall and him and Scott dropping the hammer on, on Rick's back. Yeah. Which led to like the only good Lex Luger promo mm-hmm. the next night on Nitro was, and then, but what I think what added to the impact of that was Rick kind of not touching him for a few months. Yeah. Backed with Scotty the very next night, changing his look completely. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was one of the better things they did in that year. Yeah. But Rick Steiner. Never had a bad time. You and Rick Steiner, Rick, St- Rick and Sid as the top heels with Macho Man in '99 on Nitro. That what you put two of the worst talkers together, and it was just chaos. And I mean Sid and Rick, yeah. it was just utter verbal chaos. The two of them just were never on the same page verbally, and Sid's never on any page verbally. Yeah. And we can't mention Rick Steiner without mentioning this. And we said this ad nauseum on this podcast, and we will continue to say it. Absolutely. They may be one of the single greatest stables in wrestling history, and I will die on this hill. You can have your horsemen, your NWOs, your DXs. But for my money, had they been given a longer life, Rick Steiner, charter member, but it's when I talk about the greatest heel groups, heel factions in professional wrestling, Got to mention the Varsity Club. No doubt. And even they got a run in the late 90s. 
I will never because the varsity club was something that was already gone by the time I was watching, Mm -hmm. but something that was referenced. Yeah. And you, you saw footage of every now and then the mind, the mind F that it was that randomly on a nitro. Now it was the product of Russo and Ferrara. So Mm -hmm. take that for, take that as for, you know, face value for what it is. Yeah. But but Mike Rotunda and Rick Steiner adding Kevin Sullivan back with <laughs> formerly known as Kamana Wanaleya, also known as Leia Meow. Oh my terrible name. As the varsity club in the late nineties as a viable tag team for about four weeks was one of the damnedest things I've ever seen. And they came out and just killed people. <laughs> like, all right, well. The Varsity Club in 89 with Mike Rotunda, Rick Steiner. Um, again, Mike Rotunda, the only person that beat the Road Warriors twice for a World Tag Team Championship. They were part of the NWA. They were NWA Tag Team Champions. The caveat being the Varsity Club was made up entirely of college athletes. Yep. Guys were So you had Rick Steiner. You had Mike Rotunda of Syracuse. You had Steve Dr. Death Williams. Uh, Oklahoma all-state wrestler. Um, it kind of went downhill with Danny Spivey, and I most said, things do. Yeah, always said. Uh, had they not gone with the sing- the singles push, uh, that eventually made him world champion. But had they gone the other way, and had Ron Simmons joined the Varsity Club, all bets would have been off. They would have been the greatest heel tag team of all time, heel stable of all time, better than the Horsemen, because you had four great athletes, and you had Kevin Sullivan doing all the talking, who was one of the great promo guys in history. So you have Kevin Sullivan talking for Mike Rotundo, Rick Steiner, Steve Dr. Death Williams, and Ron Simmons. That's your four. That varsity club. Sign me up, baby. That runs for years. That runs twice as long as the Horseman, in my opinion. Oh, mine, mine too. You could have done so much with that, but um, they made a decision, and rightfully so, sure. uh, to push Ron Simmons. And honestly, I couldn't see as much as Ron Simmons um, is a is a as good a heel as he is. I, he's one of those guys that would have been a better face, uh, and made a better face, and but. Happy birthday, Rick Steiner. And a final birthday today, um, one of Rick Steiner's contemporaries. He turned 62 today, two years. Um, and I didn't know these guys had the same birthday for the longest time, even though they wrestled in the same company for the longest time and were, um, I don't think they ever went against each other, but they were, again, they were at the same time. But happy 62nd birthday today uh, to Scott Simpson from Minnesota. Um, not the Scott Simpson you remember from World Class, but the Scott Simpson from Minnesota that uh, changed his persona and his name. Uh, so happy birthday to Jatota Nikita Koloff. Yes, 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 Nikita. Nikita, I always felt bad for him um, because uh, oh, when when did they... what? What WCW incident was it when they had to turn him face? It was the NWA incident. No, well, that's what I mean. What? What? And what was the what, uh, what, Magnum's car accident? That's right, the car accident for Magnum. Where the uh, key all this time, this you know, it was the simple big bad Russian, which timely uh, <laughs> heel. Uh, everything in America sucks. Uh, thick Russian accent. By the way, he's from Minnesota. Um, and then it was like Magnum's out. Or, um, yeah, Magnum's out. Uh, like, well, we're gonna turn him face. Huh? <laughs> I mean, he got over. Yeah, and he was already over. That's what made it such a, a tremendous change because yeah. he was the number one heel in the country, and he and Magnum had this impeccable feud, best of seven oh during the God. Great American Bash. You know, and, and, and Nikita was up 3-1 and it looked like it was all over and Magnum comes back and um, they wanted to get the belt off uh, the United States Championship off of uh, 
Magnum. Uh, give it to Nikita, your top heel, because Magnum was uh, going to go over that year. Uh, with he and, it was going to be he and Flair at Starcade 86. Uh, and, and an eventual run at the NWA Championship. That's why Magnum was brought in. And uh, Nikita was pushed to the moon. You know, the Russian road warrior, yep. pretty much. Uh, never beaten, never taken off his feet, just like the road warriors. And he was from that Minnesota class. You know, they all bounced at the same bar. Uh, they all went to the same high school. Uh, the Road Warriors, Barry Darso, uh, you may crusher, Khrushchev, or Smash, Nord the Barbarian, the Berserker, and Scott Simpson, Nikita, all from the same that same that same Minnesota tree, you know, built like a you know. A Built like shit. a brick shit house. Yes, exactly, Craig. And also greener than a pepper tree. So you know they work stiff, um, strong, <laughs> strong as hell. But you know if they hurt guys every once in a while because they didn't know how how green they were and how strong they were, that's just a you know part of the business. But Nikita Koloff came you know out like gangbusters, booking by Dusty exactly the way what makes uh, him such a masterful booker because he knew which guys to push and how to push him. That's like with, with the Midnight Express, he said, these guys are going to go over for a full year and not go anywhere near the Rock and Roll Express and no one touches Cornette. A year later, he's the biggest thing in the world, so when you get your hands on Cornette, it's a big deal. Nikita, same way. No one beats Nikita. Nikita goes over everyone. Yep. Nikita doesn't get knocked off his feet. Nikita doesn't sell. In fact, does not hit that mat until it is time. Nope. Russian Road Warrior. And um, he was my favorite heel of the, the 80s. I, the Koloffs versus the Road Warriors was the 1985 feud of the year. And remember, I talked about how you didn't, in certain places, you could see wrestlers from different federations. Uh, showing up in one at uh, Night of Champions 2. Uh, it was an AWA NWA card. This is dur during the WWF expansion. And it was a tag team battle royal. Well, it was a battle royal, rather. The winner would get $50,000. So the, everyone on the card was there. So the Road Warrior, so the, the Koloffs were already in the ring, the NWA tag team champions. And then the Road Warriors show up. And this is in the Meadowlands in New York with some of the smartest fans there. This was the first meeting between the Koloffs and the Road Warriors. And the Road Warriors came up to the Koloffs and they just stood there staring at each other. And the fans went apeshit. They didn't even touch each other. But here was the NWA Tag Team Champions and the AWA Tag Team Champions. Face to face. The two strongest, baddest teams in all of professional wrestling. Right there, uh, and that was made for Nikita Koloff. That was made. That was made from Nikita Koloff. It's an incredible rise, and what also can't be understated: what Nikita Koloff not only did for wrestling, what he did for himself. He prolonged the career of Ivan Koloff. Yes, Ivan, Ivan Koloff in by 1985. Keep in mind, he had beaten Bruno Sammartino 16 years earlier. And he was in his late 20s then. So here was Ivan Koloff in his 50s, being a main event, a, a main event star, opposite this green kid from Minnesota, took under his wing. Ivan Russian bear, Nikita Russian nightmare. And <laughs> he made history. Um, couldn't sustain it because there's only so much he can do when he was, uh, when. Nikita was given the main event spot, Starcade '85, uh, against Flair. Um, got a lot of booze, um, despite his push. Uh, but his program with Magnum, epic, seven match series, with Magnum, his tragic car accident, and Dusty on the fly, going to take Magnum's greatest enemy and turn him face. And when he showed up, Dusty was getting attacked by the Horsemen. And he was walking into the ring with Nikita Koloff, the biggest heel in the country, in the company. And when possibly Dusty, the country. 
Yeah, possibly the country in the United States. This is back when xenophobia was part of was a great angle in wrestling. But when Nikita was watching Dusty getting attacked by the horseman, he just stood there. Again, crowd going crazy in a cage. And then Nikita just snapped and took out the horseman, helped Dusty. And there was Dusty and Nikita standing side by side, the superpowers. And uh, it was a, it was epic. And every also, time for every time you make fun of a you I mean in general someone makes fun of a dusty booking there's an angel that has three more good ideas to throw in your face. <laughs> Dusty's booking uh and again he learned from the masters Eddie Graham, you know, Bill Watts. Uh he knew how to book. Uh the dusty finish killed its share of territories. <coughs> Surely did. Yeah, because again, we too much of a good thing will kill you. And back then, this is the dusty finish. For those of you who don't know, is when a uh, face pins the um, the NWA champion after the referee's been knocked down, and the second referee comes in and counts a pin, and the crowd thinks the home crowd thinks we've witnessed a new NWA champion. And it wasn't until later that night or the next week on TV that we find out that the uh, the face was that the champion was disqualified that the First referee counted the disqualification. The second referee counting the pin didn't count. So there was no new champion. And the thing is, that was done in every territory. So it, I, I forget where it was, Dan, but there was a list of guys that pinned the world champion with a dusty finish. And it was everyone from Austin Idol, Sergeant Slaughter, Wendell Cooley, Dusty himself, Jay Youngblood, um, just it, it, so many people had pinned the world champion uh, when the referees, the original referees, back was turned or injured, and the second referee counted the pinfall. So the dusty finish was going on all across the country. And but when cable TV came about, and actually people got to see and see that it happened, it kind of started to dilute the project. Yeah. But before that, though, the Dusty's booking of certain guys like Magnum, like Nikita, like the Midnight Express were flawless. And why it it can't be done today, I don't understand. It's so Nobody simple. has patience for it. No. Uh, let's see. You bring in Keith Lee. Okay, Keith Lee doesn't lose for a year. Period. He doesn't sell. And when it's time, you put him in against a main event guy. And it's a big deal because Keith Lee hasn't been beaten in over a year. You could do that with any of your tag teams, too, like Dusty did with the Midnight Express. No one beat the Midnight Express for a year. No one touched Cornette. So when they get a good, and they had the Rock and Roll Express with, uh, with the Andersons, with the Horsemen, completely separate from the Midnight Express. So when they come together, magic. And the greatest tag team feud in the history of professional wrestling. Not the, the first week they're there, Midnight Express, and then the second week they're wrestling in Rock and Roll Express. Now it's gone. That's AEW booking. Or have the Midnight Express debut, and then the very next week, have them team up with the Rock and Roll Express in an eight-man tag team match. Hey, you know what? We can watch it. Never mind. What I was going to say. Never mind. No. No, never mind. Also on this date, Dan, uh, 2001. Well, actually, uh, March today, March 9th, 1996, was day two of the ECW Big Ass Extreme Bash in right here, Philadelphia. Uh, we had the, let's see, the um, Public Enemy against the Bruce Brothers. Uh, I think the gangsters were on that. Um, the first ever and the first last and only match between Chris Jericho and Cactus Jack took place at the Big Ass Extreme Bash. Uh, and the one in, in today, in 1996, would be Cactus Jack's last bout in ECW before he left for the WWF. Also on that same card, Dan, uh, the Big Ass Extreme Bash right here in Philly in 1996. Ray Mysterio defeated Juventud Guerrero. Uh, 
great two out of three falls match, and that would be their last. Both of those guys would be their last matches in ECW. That was in 1996. Got to five years later, the exact same date today, March 9th, 2001, ECW officially canceled the Living Dangerously pay-per-view. They didn't have a venue booked. There was no TV to promote it. Uh, and obviously there were no tickets available. The guy that was running ECW, Paul Heyman, was a color commentator on Raw. So they had three hours of pay-per-view airtime that was just empty. Uh, I think some outlets uh, aired ECW Guilty as Charged, one of the old pay-per-views. But some would say on this day, Dan, 2001, is the official end of ECW. They wouldn't make it official until a month later in April, but today they canceled living, uh, the Living Dangerously pay-per-view. Thus ending ECW. It was all over at this point. And, and really... You know, Paul did all the conniving, he, the legitimate business and illegitimate business that he could to keep that alive. Mm-hmm. But it, it was the, the boat was uh, sinking at that point. Yeah. Sunk. It was underwater. Yeah. Uh, right. Dustin said that the ECW event was that at the new uh, Alamb- ECW arena, uh, 2300 arena. Yeah. I played mm-hmm. a sh- show on a wrestling ring there ages ago. I'm trying to find out what year that was. Uh, he also wants to put money on the cat putting you in the sharpshooter before the end of the night. That's that's an even money. That's even money. That's yeah. that's that. Absolutely. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Anyway, the death of ECW. Uh, no, and and Paul has said this. Um, he actually said it on the uh, ECW um, documentary uh, that was produced by the WWE, which is actually a very good one. It is excellent. Uh, fans, if you haven't, I get your homework assignment. Check out the ECW um, documentary produced by the WWE, um, but with a fair amount of um, Paul contributing. And he said, uh, point blank, the reason why ECW failed, we didn't have a TV deal. Yep. If yeah. TNN killed that company. Yes. Um, the Nashville network that never promoted one single episode of ECW, except when ECW was on. But they never aired any commercials for it. Never did any ab- any advertising for it at all. The only advertising I saw for it was on the syndicated show that was on on WGTW. The only reason why I knew it was on. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, but he said the reason ECW failed there was we had they had no TV deal, um, which is what you need for any wrestling promotion to get off off the ground a TV deal. Yep. Uh, I mentioned so many births uh, on this date. Uh, one more um, actually was uh, tomorrow, March 10th, is when this happened. But I just watched an entire hour and 45-minute interview with this man, and so I had to, to bring it up. I can't believe it's been 15 years since he's gone, but he's a guy that we talk about uh, quite a bit on this very podcast because he is one of the great heels and great personalities of all time, legitimate two-sports star. But 15 years ago, tomorrow, Dan, we lost the great Ernie Ladd. I, one of the best people that was ever in wrestling. Yeah, and like I said, I, I just watched a, an hour and 48-minute interview he did. I think it was 2006. Um where he talked about his career and he went through from uh, his time at uh, a grambling and his, his, his football career. He played eight years of professional football. And what I didn't know, he started, he was drafted by the chargers, the San Diego chargers in the AFL American football league in 1961, the same year we started wrestling. Um, <laughs> so he would wrestle during the off season because folks, um, Professional football players weren't making the kind of money they're making now. Uh, a football player, especially in the 60s, would make about $31,000 a year just from playing football. So uh, they had to do other jobs 
during the offseason. And when Ernie Ladd found out that he made more money wrestling than he ever did playing football, as much as he loved football, <laughs> because he was doing both for eight years. Bye. Uh, bye-bye. Uh, but he, in the interview, and it's available on YouTube, he talked about um, he went to Grambling uh, uh, University, uh, historical uh, black college, and uh, a football factory, which it would be now, but uh, it was then too. Um, Ernie led his Grambling football team, 13 players on the team, not 13 players, they went to Grambling University. 13 players on the same college team that Ernie Ladd played for turned pro. Okay? That's almost unheard of, even today. Now it's like you get three guys from Michigan might turn pro on one draft, but 13 guys on his same on the same team in, in Grambling turned pro. One of them, Buck Buchanan, uh, is in the NFL Hall of Fame. But they were line mates. They each played a, on the uh, the defensive line at Grambling University, uh, coached by Eddie Robinson, who at one time was the winningest college coach in college history in any division. Um, and when he turned pro, he got more, like I said, he made more money uh, wrestling than he ever did playing football. And he talked about some of his gimmicks, Dan, and he said, well, I'm a thief. Uh <laughs> Because uh, I have no problem saying that, you know, people always say what I called Dust, Dusty Rose, the egg sucking dog, stole that from Terry Funk. He said the the thumb that I used for my career, that I used to, you know, to win matches, stole that from Crazy Lou Graham. I saw Crazy Lou Graham do that and started, you know, using the thumb. Um, and he uh, he talked about the um. There was a com- there was a competition, and a friendly one, but a rivalry. You know, he came up in a time during segregation during the '60s when he would wrestle, and not only being a heel in because he was he he wanted to be the first black heel in pro wrestling, and he was not only one of the first black heels, first money making black heels. Now. I don't know. I think Ernie Ladd is the only one that could have done this. People say, oh, well, no one else could. Ernie Ladd, if there was ever going to be a black heel in wrestling, it had to be Ernie Ladd. Six foot nine, 320 pounds, and I cover the grounds I walked on. It's just one of those guys when I was younger and I didn't really know who he was. Mm-hmm. Just even 15 years past retirement. Yeah. Just mesmerized reading a phone book mm-hmm. i would have watched read the whole damn thing could have talked for hours i would have listened to that guy he just was he just had it I, cliche he had it he had it man yeah. um i i would i would where is that documentary <laughs> Where's the Ernie Ladd interviews? I'm going to look that up on YouTube. But look at the YouTube one. That's what I because uh, and it was just him on the couch talking about it, and um, and he talked about you know um, back in the in the with six. Not only was he wrestling during segregation, but it was also a a, a point of that in professional wrestling because when places where he was a face. And he would wrestle the territory where there were already was a black baby face. There could be only one. He talked about being in a tag team with Bobo Brazil, who was the most popular black baby face of all time. Well, Bobo, to show Ernie Ladd up, they were in a tag team match. Bobo's thing was the cocoa butt, the, the headbutt. He'd give the head the cocoa butt, the headbutt to his opponent. Opponent would go down, boom. That should be over every time. Well, the tag team match, he gave the guy the cocoa butt. Opponent went down like he was shot. But then he tagged Ernie Ladd. And he walked out of the ring. And Ernie Ladd's like, and because the guy wasn't pinned, wasn't covered, he didn't go to the finish, he got back up. So Ernie's like, well, what do I do? That wasn't, you know. And so he gave him a headbutt. 
because that was the thing that black wrestlers supposed to have hard heads. But it was a one-upsmanship that Bobo did. So because there wasn't any, if you were already in the territory that had a black baby face, there could be only one. So you were either a heel. So what during his career, Bobo and Ernie Ladd wouldn't ever be in the same territory at the same time. Or Ernie would come in after Bobo would leave. The same thing with Rocky Johnson. He didn't have a, they had some matches, but they didn't have a long feud because if a black, they had a, a territory with a black superstar, that was his spot. Ernie was fortunate enough that he could write his own ticket early on because he made so much money being a heel, or as he said, so many people want to pay a lot of money to boo me. He would just go uh, wherever he, he did and wherever he could. So he would go down to Florida and take on that dirty roads. And he'd go over to, to, to California, take on that Chava Guerrera um, in Los Angeles. He talked about putting the title up and Chavo beat him. That one made that's what made Ernie Ladd made Chavo Guerrero a superstar. But he walked back to the restroom and wouldn't 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 give the belt back. And Chavo became a superstar because he he pinned Ernie Ladd, but he didn't get the belt. Because I'm not giving that Mexican my belt. You know, tell him to work for it. Get I put him to work, shine him my shoes, take it out of my garbage, and then he can have my belt. Um uh, and and but every month he would find a way to get down on Monday night to Madison Square Garden uh, to work to work for Vince's dad. And again, top money making heel, not just black, but in professional wrestling, wrote his own ticket, uh, was making upwards one hundred twenty thousand dollars a year uh, in the seventies, which today would be, yeah. About two or three million. How much was he making a year? Hundred twenty. Hundred twenty thousand. Let me let me see. And this is in the in the seventies, in the mid seventies. Let's say seventy two. Yeah. Because he was a top. Uh, he was a main event in the NWF National Wrestling Federation with Pedro Martinez in Buffalo and uh, Toronto. He would main event in Texas with Paul Bosch because he played for the Houston Oilers. He main evented in Florida against Dusty Rose when he turned on Dusty when they were tag team partners. He'd go to California, Los Angeles. He was a main event there with Chava Guerrero. Uh, he can go down to the Carolinas and main event um, against them um, and go down the Mid-South where he had his, where he was born. Eight hundred thousand, eight hundred seven thousand, one hundred twenty-three dollars forty-four cents a year. Wow, that's how what he was making in nineteen seventy-two. Yeah, he's rich. <laughs> yeah, I also and, always like bringing up uh, the time that he beat up both Briscoes and Truman. I will never. I will, Craig. I will never not bring that up. I don't know. I don't care how many times we talk about it. No, you can't met now, you know, especially on this podcast, we can't talk about Ernie Ladd without him without talking about him throwing Jack and Jerry Briscoe into the trunk of his car. <laughs> they had an arc they, they had a disagreement. Mm-hmm. And uh Ernie said, Well, uh, I don't I forget that I can't I will never be able to put the Ernie Ladd spin on it, but he said, Well, if you have a disagreement, come down face to face and disagree with me. And it was him in a chain against two, and these guys were as closest to shooters as you were going to get. Jack and, and Jerry Briscoe were Jack, no joke. No, Jack and Jerry Briscoe were the real deal, and he spanked those two boys, <laughs> tied them, tied their hands together, threw them in a trunk, drove them to the hospital, dro- dropped them up out front, and left. Yep. And that ended his time in Florida. <laughs> yes, and thus ending his time in Florida, but he's alive. Well, he was alive. He was alive, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's one of my favorite things. They're like, well, we're going to talk to you. He goes, you certainly are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I got I to gotta, I gotta look up that episode, that uh, interview. Ah, oh, it's so funny. And probably the most uh, amazing thing about Ernie Ladd is that there wasn't enough uh, amazing things about Ernie Ladd. Married to the same woman for 44 years. And that in wrestling is a rare thing, boys and girls. Yes. 
But she calls her. Um, he said, what about your wife? He goes, oh, you mean my girlfriend? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he said that's what um, kept me uh, going. That was his, uh, his one driving force. Uh, was same woman, 44 years. Uh, but we lost a great one. Um, can't believe it's been 15 years. Uh, died at 68 years old uh, after a three-year battle with cancer. But uh, legitimately one of the great, uh, one of the first people elected into the WCW Hall of Fame and the WWE Hall of Fame and in the College Football Hall of Fame. Yep. Uh, yep. Ernie Ladd. Man was legit. Yes. Yeah. So again, homework assignment. Check out his uh, his interview on YouTube. I think it was an hour and forty eight minutes. Check and go through the on the side any of his interviews he did. Uh, he did two minutes, thirty seconds, whatever. Uh, just listen to the man talk. Um, check out his his bat with uh is on with Andre and Matt Square Garden. That's another thing. Uh. He wrestled Andre the Giant more than any other wrestler ever, more than Hogan ever did. And Andre and Ernie were so were such a hot ticket that not only had they main evented every major arena across the country, from Madison Square Garden to the Superdome to the Orange Bowl, uh, if a, a territory had a super card or had a big end-of-the-year spectacular or a big... Um, just an outdoor or just a big event, they would fly in Andre and Ernie to have a bout, even though he, neither one of those guys wrestled there. They just they would call it Battle of the Giants, Andre versus Ernie Ladd. And it would sell because it was Andre and Ernie Ladd. Um, and uh, they were, and by today's standards, they were boring, plotting matches. But watching those two guys in the ring, I was fortunate enough to see uh, an Andre Ernie match. It was actually a tag team bout. Um, Ernie Ladd and Bugs and McGraw went up against Andre the Giant and Gorilla Monsoon. And Ernie would would only come in when Andre was on the ground. And the way Ernie respected Andre, the reason why Andre never liked John Studd, because John Studd would step over the ropes. You know, we talked earlier in this podcast about uh, wrestlers who didn't like when other People did the same thing they did, like chewing gum or something. Andre was very particular, and there was not a lot of things Andre had a problem with, but he didn't like the fact that John said stepped over the ropes because he said he's not a giant. I am. When Ernie Ernie Ladd would always come through the ropes when he wrestled Andre. And like when Andre was down, the thing about what made Ernie such a heel was before the bout, he wanted the referee to check Ernie's thumb and he would, Ernie would hide it. And Andre would turn to the crowd and try to get the crowd into it. Or when Ernie would run out of the ring, when Andre's back was turned, Ernie would always be bending over to like he was going to sneak into the ring and the crowd would go nuts. And he would be like, shut up, shut up, shut up. Uh, especially during tag team match. But when he, Andre's back was turned, Ernie would just bend over all six foot nine of him, bend over, and he put one foot in, and he'd take it back out. Crowd would go nuts, and he'd say, "No, no, shut up, shut up! I'm trying to sneak up on him. I'm trying to apologize. Shut up." (laughs) Yes, the Dusty Rhodes, the Ernie Ladd Dusty Rhodes apology. Also, YouTube, YouTube gold. Ernie Ladd had turned on Dusty Rhodes a week prior, and Ernie came out on the interview because Dusty was showing the clip and Ernie came out, he put an undershirt on a stick and it came out with a white shirt to say, I, I'm sorry to dirty roads. I apologize to dirty roads for what I did. And he was like, but shut up. I'm trying to apologize. And he, he waved the white flag and I'm sorry. And Dusty looks at Gordon. So says, you believe it's gone? You believe it's gone? And Ernie slapped him and ran off. Because you're nothing but jive, Ernie Ladd. You're nothing but jive. No man slapped me and walks away from it. And I know you didn't walk away. You ran away from me, Ernie Ladd. But yeah, Dusty Ernie, the the interviews alone are just gold. (laughs) 
But uh, we lost him 15 years ago, gone, but never forgotten, at least not on this podcast. We will always uh, regale the, the fans of the legend of Ernie Ladd. And that, gentlemen and ladies, has been The Wrestling Historian. And where can people follow you? And you can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, at Craig Lagon, C-R-A-I-G-L-I-G-G-E-O-N-S. I have decided that we're going to talk about Dolph Ziggler and Sting next week when we have our friend Derek McDonald here. Because I told him, for unforeseeable reasons, I'm going to bug the S out of him until he comes back and he stays. Yeah. And maybe some D-Mac. Yes. Uh, we need an Oreo sandwich in this bitch. We <laughs> <laughs> need white meat on rye. Yeah, goddamn right. Uh, follow Craig Legans at... I think he said it, but say it again, sir. At uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at Craig Lagons, C-R-A-I-G-L-I-G-G-E-O-N-S. Follow me on all social media platforms. Dan Law, 8-3. That's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, Dan Law, 83. The HIAC Talk Radio Network is on all podcast apps. Go to your podcast app on your smartphone. Type in. HIC Talk Radio Network. Look for the green and purple logo. Follow, subscribe, share, like, review. Do all those things that I told you to do, Daddy. And 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 listen to all the shows. H E H I H E Double Hockey State. H I A C Talk Radio for Craig Legans. Hopefully next week we'll have our buddy back on. We're begging you, sir. We're begging and pleading. I'll kill another hour, and then you can come on in. We'll talk to you next week. Goodbye, everybody. See ya. Bye, bye.